chapter 35. Psalms chapter 35. I'm going to pray right now before we begin. We know that this year has come with a lot of trials and testings. And even more recent this week, we, we see that there are a lot of fires taking place here in California, Southern California. I want to pray for our first responders that are out there and in the middle of this heat, they're battling and they're fighting this fire. There are many fires that are being fought right now. And some of them are physical fires. Some of them are spiritual. But we want to be able to fight every type of fire with prayer. We're going to fight every type of fire with prayer. And we're going to fight every type of battle with prayer. So why don't we go into prayer right now and we pray for those first responders that are out there. And that God would bring peace to those that may be needed to evacuate. Let's pray. Lord, we don't want to ignore what's taking place in the world around us, even as we're seated here tonight. And we ask, Lord, that you would minister to us, to our heart. Lord, we ask for, for those first responders that are fighting these fires. We ask for your hand of protection over their lives and over their families, God. We ask for their, your provision, Lord, in their lives right now when it comes to strength, Lord. We even put before you those families that needed to evacuate their homes, Lord, and are worried about what's going to take place. They're discouraged. They're afraid. Among many things that are taking place. And we ask, Lord, that you would minister to us right now. In Jesus' name, together we said. Psalms 35, the title of today's message is, The Battle is the Lord's. The Battle is the Lord's. Now in Psalms 35, this is an amazing psalm that we're going to begin. Because this is... Not a song, but this is a prayer. This is a prayer, and prayer has a lot to do with worship. In fact, this is worship in the form of prayer. And this is prayer now that David is praying to God. He's crying out to God because of those that are against David, trying to inflict him for no reason. Notice what's taking place in David's life. And he's praying to God, asking the Lord, Lord, protect me because this situation that I'm in is in a very unjust situation. And they're lying about me, Lord. Even when I'm doing good for them and to them, they're coming against them. And I want to appeal or appeal my case before you, Lord. You see, we're going to find out here in Psalms chapter 35 that David not only prays, but he prays with a lot of passion and he prays with a lot of emotion. He gives himself over to prayer. That's what it means to give yourself over to prayer. To pray with passion, to pray with emotion. But he's praying here, not so much against his physical enemies, but he's praying against the spiritual enemy now. And he's battling now in prayer. He's fighting in prayer. He's fighting his battle now in prayer for protection against those that are coming against him. Against those that are attacking him. 
And I want you to know this, that when you are following the Lord, when you're serving the Lord, there are going to be those, either family members or, or, or co-workers or people that you know, maybe your neighbors or friends, that are going to come against you simply because you follow the Lord and because God's hand is upon you. They're going to come against your life. And they're going to speak about you. They're going to even maybe possibly turn their back on you. But look at exactly what happens here when, when God's hand is still upon now David. And David is crying out to God. Now it says this, Plead my case, O Lord, with those who strive against me or strive with me. Fight against those who fight against me. <laughs> Do you see how he's now giving this situation over to the Lord? He's giving this battle over to the Lord. He says, Oh Lord. And he's pleading to the Lord. He say, Contend my case. From those that are opposing me, you step in, Lord. And fight against those who fight against me. In fact, he's going to say, Lord, not only fight and protect me, but also, Lord, use your armor to defend me. Use your resources to defend me. Because he knows it's not only a physical battle, he understands that the battle that the man of God and the woman of God is in is a spiritual one. Do you see how interesting this is? Notice he says, take a hold of shield and buckler. <laughs> That's amazing here. What's a shield and buckler? A shield and buckler is almost as if one of those shields that you've seen a Roman soldier have that he wraps around his arm and, and, and almost you've seen it in, in maybe a movie or a documentary, whatever it would be, that, that they would hide behind or protect themselves behind that shield and, and what they would call it was a buckler. Notice here that we ought to, to be able to be behind that buckler that is the Lord's, that shield that is the Lord's. And stand there for help. He goes on and he says here, and stand up for my help. Now he's asking the Lord, Lord, step in. Lord, stand up. Lord, rescue me. I need you to stand up in my case. And he says, also draw out the spear and stop those who pursue me, those that are coming against me. Say to my soul, he's crying out to God, this is what I want to hear from you. I want to hear this from you. Look at what he says here now. I am your salvation. What is it that he wants to hear? He wants to hear the Lord say, I'm your salvation, David. In fact, in other words, what he's saying here in verse 3 is that he wants to hear the Lord tell him, David, I'm your victory. <laughs> and maybe today you need to be reminded of that. That the Lord is telling you, yes, you're in this battle, but I'm your victory. I'm your victory here. And this is what he's asking. He's crying out to God for protection. Notice here verse 4. Let all those or let those be put to shame who seek and be brought to dishonor who seek my life. Let them be ashamed. Those who want to kill me. Let them be disgraced. Let them be brought to confusion. Those that are coming to harm my life. Who seek my life. Let those be turned back and brought to confusion who plot my hurt. There are those that are coming against me, Lord, and I know it. But I ask that you would defend me and let them confuse their plans against me. That their plans may come to nothing. That their plans would produce nothing in my life. In fact, he says, let them be like chaff before the wind. <laughs> let them be just like weeds. That in the wind, what does the wind do to a weed? It just carries that tumbleweed away. Lord, let them have no strength before me. Like a tumbleweed that is just carried away, Lord. You protect me. And he's asking, Lord, Lord, I want justice in my life. 
Lord, deal with him. Notice how he says, verse 5 and 6, how he's asking the Lord to deal with his enemies. And let the angel of the Lord chase them away. You see, he's not trying to chase his own enemies away. He's saying, Lord, you chase them away. Lord, you step up. Lord, you stand my, before my case. I want you to deliver me. And he's giving now his enemies and his situation over to the Lord as he continues to say this in verse 6. Let their ways be dark and slippery, Lord. Let them slip up in their plans so that what they want to do doesn't amount to anything. And notice what he says. And let the angel of the Lord pursue them. Let them be pursued, Lord. You chase them. I don't want to chase them, Lord. You chase them away. In fact, look at the reason and look at how his enemies are coming against David without a cause, for no reason. In fact, David does good to them and they chase him away. And he still remains faithful. He still remains blameless. Do you remember when Saul was jealous of David? And what did David do? He, he remained what humble. He remained quiet. He remained silent because he wanted the Lord to defend him. And there were times where David was playing the harp right there in the presence of Saul, where, where Saul was just irritated, and there was a, a distressing spirit of the Lord upon Saul. And it said that, that Saul would grab a spear and throw it at David, right? And David would, would dodge the spears. <laughs> just imagine little David just playing his harp. He dodges the spear. But you know what the important lesson that we learn about David that he did? Is that he pretended like it didn't happen, and he came the next day again to play the harp. <laughs> How many times have maybe someone's thrown a spear at you? And you dodge that spear, but you want to grab that spear and throw it back at them. No, the best thing and the most spiritual thing that we can do and say, I'm just going to pretend like it didn't even happen and continue to serve them. Why? Because that's how true ministry happens. You want to minister to somebody? Minister to those people that are coming against you. And see the Lord use you. See the Lord use you. Those people that are throwing the spears at your life. When you learn to be submissive, notice this. You're submissive to the Lord. And David, what he was doing there is he was being submissive to God. And what he's doing here in, in chapter 35 is again, he is submitting now to the will of God. In this circumstance that is unfair. We always, wanna, we, we always want everything to be fair. In our culture especially, we want, we want justice now. We want equality. We want, we want it to be fair today, right now for me, fair. Well, let me tell you this. Life is not going to be fair. And that's why we have to ask the Lord to do this. Lord, keep my eyes on you and you defend me, Lord. You, Lord, defend my cause and plead my case. Now notice in verse 7 it says, For without a cause they have hidden their net for me in a pit. There's no reason that they're coming against me. But you know what he goes? He goes into prayer. He doesn't throw a fit. He doesn't try to, uh, you know, go out and, and, and make a stand publicly. You know what he does? Is he protests his case in prayer. Look, at there's no reason for them to come against me. But he goes and, and, he, and he faithfully is protesting his cause in prayer. Now notice how he goes on and he, says, and he says this, When they have dug without a cause for my life, they've dug a hole without a, a reason for me to fall into it. The, 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 the situation is unfair in my, in my case. It's not favorable, Lord. In fact, he says, Let the destruction come upon him unexpectedly and let his net 
but that he has hidden, catch himself into that very destruction, let him fall. See that net that they set up for me? Let them trip up on that net, Lord. Lord, you use their schemes against themselves. And my soul, notice this, this is what I'm going to do. My soul shall be joyful in the Lord. Do you notice that? Look at what, This is an attitude shift that we need to learn. He doesn't try to go and find justice for himself. The justice that he finds for himself is in the presence of God. And he says, I will remain joyful, my soul. Because his joy is not on the circumstance that he's in. It's not in the unfair treatment. My, my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. It shall rejoice in his salvation. Because I know God is going to rescue me. That's why I'm going to have joy. Do you see how David is satisfied in the Lord? I'm going to still rejoice. Even when they're coming against me. In fact, he says in verse 10, All my bones shall say, Lord, who is like you? My body is going to respond. God, who is like you? You know what the answer is? No one is like God. <laughs> is there anything hard for the Lord? Ask yourself today. No, there's not. And here David knew what it was like to trust the Lord. In fact, he says this, Who is like you delivering the poor from him who is too strong for him? Well, God, we feel oppressed. Well, well the strong hand of man is upon us. But is there any strong hand that is stronger than the hand of God? Ask yourself that today. Is there any situation that is too mighty for the Lord? Lord, from those that are overwhelming me with pressure, God, you stand strong, Lord, and deliver this humble, poor man. Deliver this needy man from him who is overpowering him and from him who is overwhelming him. Do you feel overpowered right now or overwhelmed? Maybe by the things that are taking place in our world or maybe something that's taking place at your job, in your home. Do you feel overpowered or overwhelmed by those around you? Well, here David is saying, Lord, this poor, needy, humble man needs you, Lord. And I'm going to rejoice and expect your salvation, expect your deliverance. Yes, the poor and the needy from him who plunders him, verse 10. And now look at the reward in verse 11. Fierce witnesses rise up. They ask me things I do not know. In fact, people come and accuse me of things that I don't even know what they're talking about. They accuse me or they ask me, they, they, they contend with me of things that I know not of. And, and he says this, now they reward me evil for good. Have you ever felt that way? <laughs> How possibly can it be? How is it possible that I continue to serve this person? I continue to love this person. And this is how they're going to repay me. I'm not going to serve them anymore. <laughs> I'm not going to do that anymore to, for that. In fact, I'm going to leave. No, you know what David says? Lord, you deal with them because they're rewarding me evil for good. It says, to the sorrow of my soul, but as for me. But as for me. Yes, you're going through it, but as for you. That's what they're doing. But as for me, notice this. As for me here, when they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth. I humbled myself with fasting and my prayers would return to my own heart. Notice this. When they were in need, I was serving them. When they were in need, I continued now to go and, and to be available to them. I mourned when they mourned. 
I was there. I opened myself. I was available now. But I am going to pray and fast for them. Look, look what he says. I placed him out as though he were my friend or brother. I bowed down heavily as the one who mourns for his mother. I treated them as they were my own family. He's saying here, I grieve for them. And he's depending in faith that the Lord would use him in their situation. But my adversity, in my adversity, verse 15, look at what, how they behave. They rejoice and gather together. Attackers gathered against me and, did not, and I did not know it. They tore at me and did not seize. With ungodly mockers at feast, they gnashed at me with their teeth. They planned behind my back and spoke against me when I was in need. Lord, how long will you look on? Lord, how long are you going to see this and do nothing? Isn't this how sometimes we feel, even today? Lord, how long are you going to see this injustice and, and continue to let it go on? How long, God, are you going to see my situation and not step in, God? How long is it going to take until you rescue me, Lord? And you see how he's crying out to the Lord, desperate. Now notice what he goes on and he says, Rescue me from their distraction or from their destructions or from their fierce attacks. Rescue me, Lord. Because he has no other source to go to. His only resource that he can go to is the Lord. And he says, My precious life from the lions. I will give you thanks in the great assembly. But not only is he crying out, he's also expecting now deliverance. And he says, Lord, I'm going to thank you. Notice where? In the great assembly. What's the great assembly? At church. I'm going to thank you, Lord, at church. I'm going to praise you, God, at church. The assembling is important so that we can come to, together to the Lord in gratitude. Come into His courts with praise and into His gates with what? Thanksgiving. When we come to praise God and we raise our hands, it's, it's a sign of worship. But notice what it's also a sign of. It's a sign of thanksgiving. Have you come with thanksgiving today to praise God? It says, I will praise you among many people. I'm going to praise you, God, as a testimony. I'm going to be public about my praise, God, because you have delivered me. In fact, verse 19, it says this. Let them not rejoice over me who have wrongfully now my enemies. Let them not wink with their eyes who hate me without a cause. For they not speak peace, but they devise deceitful matters against the quiet ones in the land. Lord, they speak evil against those that are innocent. And they come with false accusations. They assault, Lord, those that fear you, God. They also open their mouth wide against me and say, Aha! Aha! It says, Our eyes have seen it. They're pointing the finger. They're saying that we're guilty. They're coming against us with accusations, assaulting us in our reputation, God. This you have seen, O Lord. Do not keep silent, O Lord. Do not be far from me. Now notice what he's saying right here to the Lord. Declare me innocent, Lord. Plead now with my case, he's saying. And let them not laugh about me. Now for the, us, this is important. Because today we can go to the Lord with this prayer. This is a prayer. And say, Lord, defend me. Don't abandon me. Don't be silent to me. Because here, this is exactly what he's learning now. That even the more God uses you, the more God is using your life, the more those that are going to come and oppose your life with no apparent reason. 
And that's why we have to ask God to fight the battle for you. In fact, when God is going to use your life, guess what happens? You become a target for the enemy. And then he wants to take you out. He wants to discourage you and distract you. The Bible says that the enemy is out to destroy us. And wants to disqualify us in the work of the Lord. And for a man and a woman that's after God's own heart, we must not only expect spiritual warfare, but we must be ready for spiritual warfare. Now notice what he says here in verse, 20, uh, verse 22 here. It says, you, This you have seen, O Lord. Do not keep silent. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir up yourself awake to my vindication, to my cause, my God and my Lord. Vindicate me or declare me innocent, he's saying here. My God, according to your righteousness, because of who you are. Declare me innocent, not because of who I am, because we cannot be ever righteous in our own works. But Lord, because of who you are, declare me innocent. Notice what he says. And let them not rejoice over me. Let them not say in their hearts, Ah, so we would have it. Let them not think that they have victory over me. Let them not believe that they have overpowered me. And that their empty now plans have had victory over my life. Let them not say we have swallowed him up. He goes on and he says this in verse 26, let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who rejoice at my hurt. Let them be clothed with shame and dishonor who exalt themselves against me. Let them shout for joy and glad who favor my righteous cause. And let them say continually, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure in his prosperity of his servant. Lord, use this as a testimony here in verse 27 so that all may realize that you deserve and to you belongs the glory in my life. Let those who are on my side who are praying for me say, Great is the Lord because He delivered that person. And they see your blessing. They see your peace in my life. In fact, He goes on verse 28. It says, And my tongue shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all day long. Now do you see the confidence here in verse 28? Lord, my tongue will or shall speak of your righteousness and of your praise all day long. What is your tongue speaking of today? Is our tongue complaining right now? Is it trying to declare itself righteous? Or is it looking to the Lord and into the Lord's righteousness here? Because here we see, even in chapter 36, we see now God's faithfulness. And we're going to see the goodness of God. We're going to see here all a song now. That David is singing now when he gives a contrast between the sinful hearts of mankind, of humanity, the sinful hearts of humanity, but also now the goodness and the faithfulness of God in spite of the fallen nature of man, in spite of the fallen condition of man, that, that he even then he pours out his love on us. Look at the state that we're living in today. Because here David is really showing us what it means Really to be and live a godly life and also expect the goodness of God in our lives. He's really taking personal responsibility when it comes to his obedience to God. Yes, they are coming after me. But are you still in the will of God? Or have you tried to look for revenge? Or, or, or have you tried to now avenge yourself? Because in chapter 36, we see here now the failure 
in the fall of man. Look what he says here now as he begins now this psalm. And this psalm is titled, A Psalm of David, the Servant of the Lord. This is amazing here how he titles it, The Servant of the Lord. He, he remains one thing, a servant of God. Notice how he says this. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked. Lord, this is a song, this is a word that you've given me. An oracle that you've placed in my heart, Lord. And you're going to tell me and reveal to me, Lord, the corruption of the human heart. We're going to see that. This is exactly what he's going to talk about. The corruption of the human heart. You see the corruption today. You see what man is trying to do? Man is trying to implement in our society the moral law standard has dropped significantly you see now that when it comes to children what the laws and the bills that are being proposed in regards to you know sexual acts with kids and the moral law standard has dropped so low when man has given themselves up to the corruption and the sin of their hearts and he's going to talk about that right here the corruption and the sin of the heart what are we called to do as a church though? In fact, we're called to be salt and light in this world. And notice this, if, if there was more salt and light in this world, there would be less decay and less darkness in society. You know why th there's a lot of decay and darkness? Because there's not enough salt and light. We ought to be salt and light so that there's not a decay and darkness that is overtaken. Now notice this. An oracle within my heart concerning the transgression of the wicked or the corruption of man. There is no fear of God in his eyes for he flatters himself in his own eyes when he finds out his iniquity and when he hates. Notice this. The proudful man will never realize his sin. The proudful man will never realize his sin. And you know what pride is? Pride is the absence of fear for God. Pride is the absence of fear for God. In fact, look, he says the, the wicked man is too proud to notice his own sin when it comes to his mouth and when it comes to his actions. And the proud are so egotistical that they flatter themselves. In fact, he says in him there is no wisdom now. And his pride doesn't let him see his sin. He, that the, he doesn't, his pride doesn't let him see his sinful thoughts that are in his heart and his mind. Notice what he says here. The words of his mouth and the wicked and the deceit has ceased to be wise and to do good. He devises wickedness on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good and he does not abhor or he does not hate evil. Why? Because he has no longer fear for God. He no longer has fear for the Lord. That's what he says in verse 1. There is no fear of God before his eyes. When we lose fear of God for our eyes, you know what happens to our heart? It becomes corrupted. And it becomes very proud because we think that we don't need God. We think that we don't need God. And when we don't need God, when we think that, when we have no fear for God, you know what we start to do? We begin to flatter ourselves and we begin to worship self. When you stop fearing God, that's the beginning of idolatry. And you know what the flattery does that he's talking about here? The flattery, what it does, it gives us, and it gives you, and it gives me, more confidence for us to sin. That's what pride does. Pride gives you the confidence to sin. But the fear of God will continue to keep you humble. That's what you have to ask the Lord today. Lord, give me fear because it will keep me humble. 
And when we start to lose that fear of God, guess what you start to lose? You start to lose everything now. You start to lose everything that's important to God. You start to lose character. You start to lose godly conduct because you lost the fear of God. So everything in your life has changed. Now notice how he goes through the adoration because he still magnifies the character of God in spite of the corruption of man. It says this, Your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens and your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. This is an old song. <laughs> your love, O Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness. Now notice what he's talking about here. He's saying, Lord, this is in contrast, this is your character. Now we know the depravity of man, but in contrast, this is your character. And notice what he says, your mercy or your here, your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. First he talks about the mercy of God, then he talks about the faithfulness of God. Now he says here, your mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, or your mercy is great above the heavens. This is the mercy of God. Your mercy is great now. And he talks about the, the faithfulness of God. And the faithfulness of God reaches to the skies. Verse 6. Your righteousness or who you are is like now or is great like the mighty mountains. <laughs> your righteousness is as strong, Lord, as the mountains. And your justice. Let's read this. And your judgments are deep. They're great. Notice what he says. They're great, they're strong, and they're deep. In fact, he goes on and he says this, O Lord, you preserve man and beast. Lord, you are in control of all humanity and of all of creation. Think about that when you're going through a situation. Lord, your mercy reaches to the sky. Lord, your faithfulness is great. Your righteousness is like the mighty mountain, Lord. And your justice is a great and it goes so deep Lord he's talking about the character of God but notice here in verse 7 it says how precious is your loving kindness or how precious is your love here is saying oh God therefore the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings saying because Lord you are so precious when it comes to your love all mankind ought to put their trust and find shelter, find protection under the shadow of your wings. Where do you look for protection at today? Safety. He's saying, because of who you are, God, I let the shadow of your wings come and cover me. The shadow of your wings are my covering. Picture the wings of a mother that is now of a, a, of a mother that is coming to, to now cover the baby birds right and, and and she covers them from what from any type of harm lord the shadow of your wings are my protection in fact he goes on they are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house your children not only are sheltered under your wings but your children are also satisfied notice this they are abundantly satisfied here with the fullness of your house <laughs> Where are you satisfied at? There are often times that we want to be satisfied in different houses. But the best house that you're satisfied in is in the house of worship. Is in the house of God. I'm abundantly satisfied here. He's saying the children, we are filled with the fullness of who you are. In fact, look what he's saying here. Not only is he talking about satisfied, he's saying we are being fed at your house. 
He's asking the Lord to give them a drink of the presence or of the presence that is coming from the Lord. As he says this, and you give them drink from the rivers of your pleasure. You want to find pleasure? It's in the presence of God. Lasting pleasure. Pleasure that doesn't get old. Pleasure that doesn't now run out. He's saying your children, God, find satisfaction. And your children find pleasure in the, in the Lord. They're feeding on the rich blessings of God. Where do you find your pleasure in? Are you satisfied in the fountain of life who is the Lord? Who gives light? For you are, for with you, verse 9, is the fountain of life, Lord. In you I see light. In you you expose darkness, Lord. In your light we see light. I want to live in your light, Lord. I don't want to live in darkness. And it says, verse 10 now, the expectation or the confidence of the believer. It says this, Oh, continue your loving kindness to those who know you. Oh God, we ask for more of your favor. He's being bold and courageous now. He's saying, Oh Lord, continue your love to those who know you. What's the, what is our pursuit? What is our goal? To know Him. I've come to the house of God today to be satisfied. I've come to the, the house of God today to be filled. But I've come to the house of God today to know Him. You know, there's a lot of people that go in and out of church but don't know Him. They know about Him, but they don't know Him. You know how you get to know Him? By being in His presence. And here He's saying, I've been in your house, God. I've been in your presence. I'm, I'm, I'm filled, Lord. I'm satisfied. And your loving kindness continues to those that know you. Notice here verse 10, it says, And your righteousness to the upright in heart. Your righteousness is going to be those to those who are honest and pure, where? In heart. God looks at your heart today. And He's looking to our hearts to see now our obedience to Him. He's looking to your heart right now. He's waiting to see your obedience now. And it says this, Let not the foot of pride come against me, Lord. Lord, protect me and bless me, Lord. That would walk in obedience to you, but also protect me from the wicked and their pride. He says, And let their hand of the wicked, let not the hand of the wicked drive me away. Let me not be thrown down. Let me not fall so that I never rise again. Because it says in verse 12, There the workers of iniquity have fallen, and they have been cast down and are not able to rise. Lord, let them fall and not able to rise, but protect my life. Now, I love this next chapter that we're going to go in tonight, in chapter 37. Because as we read this chapter tonight, we're going to see that these are words. This is advice that David gives to his son Solomon now. And he gives this advice to his son Solomon on the day of Solomon's coronation. Just think about it. Solomon is going to be king now. And he's passing on the, mount, the, the mantle of leadership. He's placing his son Solomon on the throne. And they're celebrating. But it is believed that in Psalms 37 now, he passes on one of the most important things that he can pass on to his son. And that's his spiritual heritage. That's the most important thing that you can pass on to anyone, that you can let them inherit. It doesn't matter how many possessions you give them. If you don't pass on a spiritual heritage, we really have not passed down anything to anyone. But here we're going to see that, Solomon, that, that, that David pours into Solomon these very important life lessons. 
This is godly counsel now. And he wants to raise him up in the presence of God. He's saying, you're going to be king now, son. But I want you to know these lessons now. Number one lesson that I want you to know, while you are going to now be a leader and the king, number one lesson that you ought to learn today, church, is number one, that the Lord can be trusted. The lesson that he tells him is the Lord can be trusted. The number two lesson you're going to see here in, 30, in chapter 37 is that the Lord's son, Solomon, my daughter tonight, the Lord is saying, the Lord understands your situation. The Lord understands your situation. Number three lesson that he tells his son, Solomon. Son, Solomon, the Lord blesses his people. Solomon, I need you to understand this. If you're going to be the king, the Lord blesses his people. And Solomon, while you're the king, you're going to see the wicked rise up. But know this, Solomon, number four, that the Lord will judge the wicked. The Lord will judge the wicked. You see what he's going to tell us here? Because Solomon needs to be trained up just like we need to be trained up. And he's looking to develop Solomon and develop now his dependence on the God and develop his trust in God. When you read this psalm, this is all about development now. Your development, your trust in God. This is it, chapter 37 now. Because this psalm is going to give us a command to seize and to stop worrying. Some of us here need to, need to hear that tonight. Stop worrying now. You know that worry and anger are one of the most destructive emotions that you can carry in your heart and in your mind? And this is exactly what he wants to tell Solomon. Stop worrying. Stop being angry. Because these are so destructive to you, my son. And he's going to give him some now power principles to carry on for the rest of his life that me and you need to hear tonight. Now notice here in verse 1. Do not fret because of evildoers. This is the first lesson. The Lord can be trusted. And he says, do not worry about the evildoers. He's teaching them here that the Lord can be trusted. Right here what he says, do not worry. Not only is he saying, do not be afraid now. But what he's really saying is, do not burn up or get heated. Or do not get angry now because of them. Or be jealous of those that are doing wrong. You know what the, what the enemy likes to do when we're given responsibility to serve the Lord? He likes to put your eyes on other people so that you can become jealous and distracted of those that are not even following the Lord. And here what he's telling he says, don't get jealous, don't get angry, don't get heated. You focus on what God's called you to do. Stop comparing yourself. Solomon, trust God, don't compare yourself. Don't get angry. Control your emotions. Notice what he says here now. Nor be envious, circle that, of the workers of iniquity. Well, why is it that they get everything and not me? How come they can get away and I can't get away? Why is it that they continue to get blessed even though they're disobeying God? And I, I find myself in the constant struggle, in the trial now. In fact, he says this, when it comes to the workers of iniquity, they shall soon be cut down like grass and wither as the green herb. They will fade away. Do not look at them. Do not gain your... Now, example from them. Do not gain now uh, your vision from them. Have patience, what he's saying, for peace and victory over fear. Have patience now to overcome fear and worry when it's trying to creep into your life. And here come the power principles. It's going to start in verse 3. We're going to see this is the roadmap. These are our 
now almost our, our guide or our guardrails to continue to hold on to so we can trust in God. Here's the first one now. Trust in the Lord and do good. Solomon trusts. Number one, the first word, the power principle, the first word is trust. I want you to circle the word trust. Trust in the Lord and do good. What does this mean? Solomon, depend on God. Depend on Him and do good. Trust Him. Second word here, dwell. Not only I want you to trust, but I want you to dwell now in the land and feed on His faithfulness. Dwell in the land. What's in the land? Dwell in the will of God. Because there in the will of God there is protection. Dwell in the house of God. Because there is safety there. Dwell in the presence of God. Because that's where God wants you for fellowship. So trust and dwell with the Lord. But also, look what he tells us. This, this very next word, feed. Word three, to feed on the faithfulness of God. I want you to trust God, Solomon. I want you to also dwell in his presence for protection. But number three, feed and get your nourishment, get your strength from his faithfulness. You know what you can do? You start to enjoy your walk with the Lord. Because you're feeding, you're drawing your strength, your encouragement off of the faithfulness of God, of what God has done in the past, that will carry you into the future. I can feed off what God's done in the past. And that will give me strength. That will feed my soul to carry me to the next place. Trust. Dwell. Feed now. Feed. Now, verse 4 is one of the most quoted verses that we know of. Delight yourself in the Lord. This is amazing. The fourth word, delight. Trust, dwell, feed, delight. Delight yourself in the Lord and He shall give you the desires of your heart. Isn't this amazing here that He's giving us what we ought to do? Delight yourself in the Lord. What does delight mean? Find pleasure in the Lord. Be satisfied in who He is. Be fulfilled in God alone and He will give you the desires of your heart. You don't have to go and try to take them and rob the desires of your heart. In fact, what he's saying here is that when your first desire is the Lord, when your first desire is His presence, when your first desire is His Word, and your first desire is obedience now, He will bless and He will honor every other desire after that. Because they will be desires that come from Him. <laughs> And He's going to honor those desires. He's going to bless those desires because your first desire is Him and every other desire is going to come from Him. Delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Are the desires in your heart today, are they from the Lord or are they from you? Where are the desires from your heart? Where are they coming from? Are they coming from God or are they coming from somewhere else? Are they coming from the presence of God? It was in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. It says, first seek, seek first the kingdom of God and all these righteousness and all His righteousness and everything else will be in addition. Everything else will be added unto you. It starts with delighting yourself in the Lord. Notice this. Here we get the fifth word now. And the fifth word is in verse 5 where it says, commit. Not only are we going to trust, we're going to dwell, we're going to feed, we're going to delight. We're also going to Commit. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust, here again, also in Him, and He shall bring it to pass. This is for us that are waiting for the Lord to give us an answer of prayer. 
This is for us that have been waiting for a while for confirmation. Commit your ways to the Lord. In fact, you've been praying for something. Commit it to the Lord now. You know what a commit means? It's a picture of someone that is rolling it over to God. <laughs> and Lord, it's on your Lord, it's on you now, Lord. I'm rolling it over. I'm surrendering it over to God. In fact, what he's saying, Lord, I'm committing and I'm trusting you in this now. And I know you're going to bring it to pass. Or what does it mean? I know that I'm going to, the Lord is going to help me in this area. I'm going to let go and let God. And everything you do, trust him. Verse 5, and he will help you. Do you see these words that he's, he's giving us now? He will bring forth, verse 6, your righteousness as the light and your justice as the noonday. He's going to give you innocence as in the light to radiate and justice as in the noonday. God will deliver you. God will defend you. Notice here, God will answer you. God will deliver you. God will defend you. And God will answer you. But what is it that we ought to continue to do? He, he gives us more now. This is amazing now. Rest. Oh, what? That means that I'm going to commit to God. You've never really committed your way to God or your situation or your prayer to God until you are resting in God. That's really a test, the revealer of knowing, have I really committed this to God? Well, ask yourself, am I resting about this or am I being anxious about this? Am I striving about something that maybe God doesn't want to give me yet? Or am I resting? In fact, he says here, rest in the Lord now. You know what rest means? Well, rest means exactly what the next word that we're going to receive from this, this roadmap is where it says, and wait, rest and wait. <laughs> Some of us don't like to wait. We want to go ahead of the Lord. But today and tonight, the Lord is saying, I want you to rest and I want you to wait. You know what this means? I want you to be still. I want you to be silent. I want you to surrender now. And don't worry about everyone else, what they're doing. I want you to wait on me. Notice this, rest and wait. And then it says, do not fret because of him who prospers in his way. Don't be worried about those that are prospering in their way because of the man who brings wicked schemes to pass. Don't be worried about them. In fact, verse 8, he tells us, cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret. Do not worry. It only causes harm. Don't worry. Don't be angry. It only causes harm. Now, what is he telling them? Control your emotions. Because you're going to face situations that are going to cause harm if you are given into these situations. So what is he telling us here? As these power principles for living and growing in the presence of God. To trust. To dwell. To feed. To delight. To commit. He says then to rest. To wait. And to seize. Do you see how these are so important, these principles, so that we can learn to grow in the Lord? Imagine if you take these words and you say, Lord, this is the roadmap that I want to follow when it comes to every situation in life. Because I want to grow in you. Now he says this now in verse 9. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord. Notice this. Those that try to get their way, they're not going to last. Those that want it now, they will not last. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. They're going to possess and live in peace and in prosperity. God's going to give them the land. Yet for a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you shall look carefully 
from his place, and they shall be no more. Those people that you, that you think that are prospering right now, they're going to fade away, and so will their riches. But the meek, notice the humble here, will inherit the earth. God will make those that are humble, that are trusting in him, prosper and inherit the earth. The humble. And he shall delight themselves and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. God will prosper them. God will bless the humble now. The wicked plots against the just and gnashes with his teeth. And the Lord laughs at him for he sees that his day is coming. Even though the, the Lord understands your situation, he's going to teach him now. Because oftentimes the wicked plans and schemes, but what does the Lord do? He laughs because he knows the judgment is coming. And the wicked have drawn the sword and have bent their bow to cast down to the poor and the needy. They slay those who are upright in conduct. Look, they're coming against them. And their sword shall enter their own heart and their, their uh, bows shall be broken. Now he says their plans are going to be broken. A little that a righteous man has, verse 16, notice this, is better than the riches of many wicked. Why is it, Lord, that I, can, I have to have little? And look how much they have. They're abounding. Well, a little in righteousness is better than abounding, abounding in wickedness. You see, what, what would you choose? What do you prefer? Do you want to abound in wickedness? Or, or are you satisfied with even a little that God's taking care of you? This is for the arms of the wicked shall be broken, but the Lord upholds or the Lord holds up the arms of the righteous. In verse 18, look what he says. The Lord knows. Circle that. The Lord knows the days of the upright and their inheritance shall be forever. The upright have a future. He knows your way and the upright shall have a future. They shall be forever. They shall not be ashamed in the evil day. God is going to protect them. They're not going to be disgraced. They're not going to be ashamed in hard times. They will not be ashamed. God will not leave them alone. He's not going to abandon the upright. In fact, he says, in the days of famine, in the day of difficulty, they shall be satisfied. They, they're going to be full. He, they're going to have more than, than enough. The Lord is going to make every little thing stretch a long way for them. It says, but the wicked shall perish, and the, and the enemies of the Lord, like the splendor of the meadows, shall vanish into the smoke, and they shall vanish away. Guess what? They will have no future. The righteous will have future. In fact, he's going to teach them from verse 21 to 31 as we read this, is that the Lord blesses his people. What does the Lord do? He blesses his people. The wicked borrows and does not repay. Look at the character. But the righteous shows mercy and gives. For those blessed by him shall inherit the earth, but those cursed by him shall be cut off. Look at the end result. The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord, and he delights in the way Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down, for the Lord upholds him with his hand. Even those that, that are tripped up, that stumble, they're not going to be fall forever. The Lord's going to raise them up. There are often times that we stumble, but God's going to hold us up. I have been young, and now I'm old. He's saying here, David, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken. I know God has never abandoned them, nor his descendants begging bread. God's going to meet the needs of the righteous. He is ever merciful and he lands and his descendants are blessed. In fact, the righteous are always going to take care of others' needs, even and especially their own household. Their descendants are going to be taken care of. Depart from evil and do good, he's telling us, and dwell forevermore. For the Lord loves justice and does not forsake his saints. God will not turn his back on his people. 
They shall be preserved forever, but the descendants of the wicked shall be cut off. What is God's hand? Is always, his hand of preservation is always upon his people. And it says, The righteous shall inherit the land and dwell in it forever. The mouth of the righteous speaks wisdom, and the tongue talks of justice. The law of his God is in his heart. None of his steps shall slide. The righteous does one thing. He makes it an urgent point, a priority, to hide the law of the Lord in his heart. And when the law of the Lord is in his heart, guess what? His steps do not slip. His steps are footed in the right place. Why? Because the law of God, the word of God is in his heart. So he doesn't slip in his steps. Now look what it says, verse 32. The wicked watches the righteous and seeks to slay him. The Lord will not leave him in his hand nor condemn him when he is judged. Now verse 34, he's telling us again to do one thing. Notice what he's asking us to do here. Wait on the Lord and keep his way. Wait on the Lord. Be obedient to his way, not your way. His way, look it says. And he shall exalt you to inherit the land. When the wicked are cut off, you shall see it. This is a promise now. Wait on God. He's going to bless you with that. You shall see it. He will exalt you. What does it say in, in Peter, 1 Peter chapter 5? Humble yourself before the hand of God, and he shall exalt you in due time. There are often times we're waiting for the Lord to exalt us, and we want to go take it, that exaltation. If you have to take something, it's maybe not from God. Wait for you to have to receive it, because when you receive it, that's from the Lord. Notice, you don't have to strive. Wait on God, and He's going to bless you, and you're going to inherit the land. What a promise here. This is amazing. I have seen the wicked in great power, spreading himself like a native green tree, yet he passed away. Behold, he was no more. I've seen those that, that were flourishing, but they dried up the wicked. Indeed, I saw him, but he could not be found. Mark the blameless man and observe the upright for the future of that man is peace what is the future of the righteous peace but the transgressor shall be destroyed together the future of the wicked shall be cut off but the salvation of the righteous is from the lord look at this the salvation is from god and it is from god alone now he is their strength in their time of trouble and the lord shall help them and deliver them he shall deliver them from the wicked and save them why is god going to save them here it is as we end tonight. Because they trust in Him. Now, do you want to see the salvation of the Lord in your life? The preservation of the Lord? The exaltation of the Lord? What is He telling I don't want you to only trust God. I want you to wait for the preservation of the Lord. For the exaltation of the Lord. And you know where that comes from? From trusting in Him. The preservation the exaltation of God in our life. How does that happen? By trusting in Him for His salvation. Let's go ahead and pray tonight that God would do that. That He would teach us to wait. That He would teach us to be those that wait on Him. And wait on Him only. That we don't have to be anxious or worried. That we don't have to try to fight or get our own way. That we would trust in Him and in Him alone. Lord Heavenly Father, we thank You, God. We thank You for tonight, for Your Word, that it's so living and powerful, God. We thank you for the reminder that we ought to trust you, to dwell, to feed, Lord, to delight, to commit, Lord, to rest and to wait patiently, Lord, and that we would cease from anger and from worry, God, because you, Lord, and only in you, God, do we find the answer to our need. I pray that you would administer to that need, Lord, 
And thank you because even in the desert moments of life, you are there to protect us. 